Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock from MCG Quantity Surveyors. Today, we're talking about generational or intergenerational wealth and how you can build intergenerational wealth for your future family or current family. We're talking to the wonderful Rob Panetta from Lux Buyers Agents in Melbourne, and he walks us through how his mindset changed when he became a father the fact that Australian property prices are such that in future generations, it's likely that the bank of mum and dad is going to be crucial to get into the property market. And he gives us some tips on acquiring uh, properties and the types of properties that he he sees as serving you in your goal to create that intergenerational wealth. It's an awesome interview with Rob. Here he is. Rob Panetta, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Normally, we're having this conversation without me present. What a weird way for me to say. You've been a listener of the show. I have, I have. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm 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 very pleased that this isn't the first time that you've you've heard the show, although it would be delightful because it'll be your good self. But um thanks for the support over the last little while. But I really wanted to get you on um because you're a property investor, you've got a buyer's agency business, and you sort of pitched a um what I think is a really interesting topic, and and that's generational wealth or intergenerational wealth. And you know, you make the argument that buying a property in a capital city in ten years' time, you know, you're not going to be getting change out of a million dollars possibly in in every capital city in Australia. So, what 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 does that sort of mean for you as a as a parent thinking about your kids and their future in property? Yeah, well. I'll start with how how I grew up. Um, basically, I grew up being raised half by my grandparents and half by my parents, uh, and the reason for that was my parents were constantly working and and trying to provide a better life for me and my sister. So I, I will be honest, we, we we didn't come from much. Um, everything I own, I've had to work for and and pay out of my own pocket. So my my grandparents they were migrants from Italy uh, as well as my dad. Um, who came over to Australia on a ship. Um, the, the, he was only 17 when he came over and he had nothing to to his name, just just a suitcase uh, full of clothes. Um, he didn't speak a word of English. So so try imagining coming over to a, to a foreign country where you, you don't speak the language, you don't have any money and and you just got a suitcase to your name. Um, yeah, well, I think it's, it's a bit like me trying to say, you know, buongiorno, Rob, and then I go, yeah. oh, gosh. Mikiamo, Mike, uh, Ich Vonne in. No, that's German. It's, it'd be a mess, right? And I'm doing that as sort of like a joke, but this is moving your whole life to another country. Learning yeah, language is a little a bit better more life serious. For, for yeah, just to to get yourself further and have a better life for yourself. Um, that's I think what he was he was trying to achieve by yeah. coming to Australia. Yeah. And and honestly, don't make any apologies for that because if there's one thing that I've learned is that the these these podcasts I think tend tend to be received better when somebody has a more identifiable background. You know, there are heaps of you know first and second generation migrants that are interested in property and the property market. And if you were to come in and say, "I got my first start when my you know old man gave me a million dollars and said, you know, like." buy yourself a Ferrari and with the rest, you must buy a property. And it's like, now I've got $20 million. Nobody really learns anything out of that. Uh, yeah. so I, I think it's good to to be able to have a background like that and say, well, here, here's, here's my trajectory and here's what I'm doing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, I have mad respect for for my parents and what they've accomplished. Um, like putting a roof over our heads, owning their own property, um, and at the end of the day, they they are creating us with opportunities that they could only have dreamed of. Yes, uh, back in the day, yeah. Um, but that they were. My family grew up just being taught to to work, um, save money, keep it in the bank, pay pay your taxes, and then and then pass it on to your kids. Whereas now you search on the internet and you have your answer in two seconds. Um, so yeah, like it, it was hard for me to to ask my parents for advice about property because they haven't been where I want to be with property investing. So. So I had to go out there and learn and grow on my own. And I can proudly say I'm the first one in my family to to venture out and and have multiple properties and and own my own business. Um, but say I followed in the same uh, path as my parents, I, I probably wouldn't be sitting here with you today. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you, you owe them a debt of gratitude for establishing a life on the other side of the country, I suppose. But interesting that you sort of, you know, they follow the typical, um, I guess, people of that generation. It's like, you know, you work hard, you get a job, you know, you pay you pay down the mortgage because debt is a, a proper thing. You don't want to owe anybody anything. And, you know. It's bad. Yeah. That's- their mindset yeah yeah and and we've talked before a number of times on this show about you know the power of the immigrant work ethic like the the work ethic is just next level right it's get in get a job work hard you know pay it off and then you know hopefully at the end there'll be uh, a life for you when, when did you sort of start realizing that, that debt is actually something that could be utilized to build uh equity yeah like i realized I reckon mid mid twenties probably when I first bought my first property. Yep. Um, that's probably when I realised, yeah, look, that that is actually your friend. It will help you leverage and get to your next one and your next one after that. Yeah. So you don't necessarily have to pay down that debt to to get ahead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whereas, yeah, back in the older generation, they they probably wouldn't be wouldn't have access to to this sort of knowledge. Yeah. And so when it comes to, I made reference to you before in being a, a, a father and thinking about the future real estate market. And I guess as a society, we we have a high rate of home ownership compared to other parts of the world because as Australians, we value that, right? And I guess, you know, most parents are sort of looking at the property market thinking, if I'm going to have my children own property, then there's a fair chance that I'm going to need to be um, one of the bank and mum and dad statistics, right? So how did did having sort of children and an interest in property make you think about, you know, developing a portfolio that enables you to help them? Yeah, look, having this, having children has changed my mindset completely um, on life and, and as well as property. Um, I find myself focusing on on the bigger picture and less on the small insignificant things in life. Um, I, I, like I believe in myself and my abilities, and, and and that plays a huge part in your mindset. You need to believe that you you can actually do this and try to surround yourself with. Um, positive people who who share similar interests and, and values that you do. Yep. Now, now, having kids, you don't realise how much of a responsibility it, it actually is, raising a little human um, mm. 
who pretty much you, you got to do everything. They rely solely on on you for absolutely everything. Um, yeah. So your, your priorities shift um, from being focused on on yourself to being focused on your children and and what sort of life you can provide for them. Um, now it's not all rainbows and butterflies. They they do test your patience at times, <laughs> um, but that's all part of the process um, of parenthood. Yeah. Mm. Yes, now you're preaching to the choir there, mate. Uh, I got a few little terrorists myself, yeah. um, but but like you, I'm kind of thinking, all right, well, you know, with the pace of of property growth, and you know, you can compare like to our parents' generations, the asset price to salary ratio was a lot smaller than it is now. It does yeah. sort of beg the question: where are we going to be in the in the future? And I think the smartest thing, if you are wanting your your um, children to own a property is to plan for being able to assist them with that. Um, so when it comes to building your net worth, obviously property property is your vehicle of choice, but what sort of strategy have, have you adopted and do you adopt with your clients about, um, you know, building that asset base for people that are wanting um, to be able to potentially help out their kids? Yeah, so um, how how was the question, how would you go about achieving generational wealth? Yeah, yeah, and what sorts of properties do you look at? Yeah, like firstly, um, firstly, I would invest in education uh, before anything. Education is one of the most um, powerful tools to build wealth. Um, educate yourself and your children about financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and, and investing. Like I'm a buyer's agent myself and... I still learn new things every day about property. Like you can never stop learning. And ultimately, if you put the time and effort, you, you'll reap the rewards. Yep. And, and that's with anything in life. Um, practice uh, makes perfect, I believe, is the same, Mike. Yeah. Uh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they yeah, say it takes, but, you know, around 10,000 hours to to master anything. But I, I know a lot of practitioners and technicians that would, would be more into the you know, hundred thousand hours and are still career learners and and still you know working on their trade craft, as it were. Yeah, no, it's good if you try at least learn one thing from each person you come into contact with, because it's something that you didn't know the previous day, and, yeah. and that will help you grow as a person as well. Um, yeah, so some items that I suggest your listeners could could um, help get, get their education going would be maybe listening to some podcasts. Um, I know for me it's been super helpful um, on my journey. You could read some books, uh, do some courses. Um, you could also reach out to people that uh, where you want to be in life and what is the worst that can happen. They can say, sorry, no, I haven't got any time for you. So um, those are some tips that you could do. Um, to to further your educational, and yeah, and I've sort of found myself that people that have dedicated their lives to getting a, a certain skill set or a knowledge base are are only too keen to to share that. Uh, of course, you get occasionally exceptions to the rule, but most people I think are very generous with their time. If if you're open and and honest about you know who you are and what you're doing and what you're trying to achieve, you know if 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 you're trying to get you know advice so that you can sell it into a course that you're developing that's where people be going oh, no no i'm not interested in helping that but if you're just like i'm i've been watching your stuff i'm a fan 
Uh, I've got a couple of questions. Is it okay if I ping them your way? I think more, more often than not, you'll find people will be more than willing to do that. The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximize their claims and maximize their property education as well. Yeah, uh, to provide some value every day of the week. I know I've got time for anyone that wants to ask me a question um, because you just never know who that person is. It could lead to something something else. So I'm always always open. My door's always open. Um, Yeah. And when we're talking about generational wealth, um, I'm, I'm guessing if that's the strategy for you, then then is that more of a looking for the growth assets to build that that base so that you can then potentially look at at more cash flow items, or do you favour a, a balance? What's your sort of philosophy? My, my philosophy would be like if you're just starting out. Um, also, it, it depends. Firstly. Um, what you're looking to invest in like it'll depend on your investment goals um and your budget and how how uh how many properties you have in your portfolio and and your risk tolerance but i've always been a firm believer in investing in established properties um when you're starting to build out your portfolio um you have options when investing in the right established houses you can have multiple exit strategies um, compared to say buying a house and land package where you typically get blocks in the the 300 square meter range, your house has already been built to spec. There, there's not a lot of room to add value anywhere, um, and buying off a developer, the the price is already inflated. So, so it will limit your capital growth in the future. And, and most homes being built around you will be similar to to. So, what's going to differentiate your house? From theirs, yeah, um, yeah, which will ultimately sometimes lead to to oversupplying, and will hurt your capital growth in the long term. Yeah, um, but for for you, uh, it's quite common that in new houses you you'll get a good uh, tax depreciation schedule. So, um, if you're Mike, I would definitely be buying a new house on that package. <laughs> you know, you, you know what? Like, um, it's funny you mentioned that because I did. Um, I did a podcast with Todd Sloan a little while ago, Pizza and Property. I listened to his uh, Pizza and Property podcast. That's that's one of my my go-tos. Oh, good. I got a missed call from him today, actually. Sorry, Todd. (laughs) Um, This will go to air a couple of weeks later, so none of it will make sense. But um, we did an episode about the the best property to buy for depreciation deductions. Um, And then I explained something that was, you know, had 400 units in a block and and two swimming pools um, and, you know, a a gym and and eight levels of basement, all all that sort of stuff. Um, And the point is that the property for the best depreciation deductions is most likely a a terrible investment. So depreciation is a bonus. It's not a strategy. Uh, And we were talking off air about the cutoff date for depreciation claims on the original building structure being 1987. Um, The first or second investment property I ever bought was built in 1985, which is, of course, heartbreaking for me because I'm like, oh, so close to the deductions on the original structure. But that goes to show even a depreciation nerd like me understands that the 
asset and its performance is is so far going to outweigh any tax benefits. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, don't invest uh, to just to save tax. <laughs> no, yeah. no. If it's there, give it a good squeeze. It's a, it's a little add, added extra bonus, a uh, little cherry on the on the cake. Is that how you say it? Yeah, cherry, cherry on, cherry on top. The, the cherry on top. Yeah, cherry. you can put it on a cake, mate. I'm not here to judge. Whatever. Yeah. If that's what if that's what you like, cherries just put them put them all on the cake. <laughs> so when you're, we, we talk about, um, I think in many ways you were talking about the scarcity, right? Finding a property where there's not millions of the similar types of property around, whether that being, you know, house and land packages where there's, you know, maybe 200 houses in a certain uh, subdivision or, you know, apartments within a, a complex. So scarcity is an important thing, but, but when we're trying to build an equity base, um, of course, you want to get a good quality asset that has some strong demand that people want to to purchase or rent in. Um, but there's also money that you can be making with strategy and negotiation and things on the way in. So I know that you know negotiation is uh, and and purchasing well on the on the front end is something that you're passionate about. What what can you advise people on that they should be looking at in that situation? In terms of uh, uh, negotiation, or yeah, neg- negotiation, uh, or, or or let's say buying under a market value, or any strategies around making money, you know, from day one. Yeah, look, if they're if they're a beginner, like I would recommend, uh, they go down the established house route where their their land component is larger, and they have the potential to create equity. Um, just say by adding a bathroom, adding a bedroom, or potential to subdivide down the track maybe you want to retain the front home and build on the back or retain the front and and sell the land on the back Uh, whatever you want to do at least you have options but if you're a more experienced investor who has already got a couple in the portfolio i would be looking at say maybe blocks of villas rooming houses uh childcare centers or or even looking at getting into the commercial space for for some higher net returns. Um, yep. As it, it, but it's good to note that it, it's important that with higher cash flow properties often come with higher risks. So, such as uh, higher vacancy rates or or ma- more maintenance costs. So it's important to do your research and and thorough due diligence before investing in any property. Yeah, yeah, of course, pretty sage advice, and, and I think. Yeah. There's also the risk of, you know, a downside of of not being uh, as good from a capital growth point of view, right? They say you can have your cake and eat it too. There's another cake metaphor, <laughs> um, but often those high high yielding assets might not necessarily be the best for capital growth, right? Yeah, like it's good in the good times, but in the vacant, uh, in the when it's vacant and you've got no tenants and you're paying two mortgages, that's when things start to become a bit difficult. Mm. So it's just something to think about when um, dealing with these higher high net assets. Yeah, yeah. So for you personally, when you're thinking about you know passing down your your wealth, is that something that drives you to to have success in your property investing journey? What what does that sort of transfer of generational wealth to your kids kind of uh, mean to you? Yeah, well, like to me, it means. I need to make sacrifices now so later on down the track my kids can reap the benefits of me working hard now. Yeah. Um, 
I've personally had to make sacrifices to obtain my portfolio. Um, I sacrificed going out with mates, um, not buying the latest phones or, or not driving the best car. I've, I've worked 60-hour weeks um, working my ass off. Um, I've given up playing sport. Like That's just to name a few. Um, so you might find that things that used to be important to you, um, such as your career or hobbies, are, are now taking a back seat to, to the needs of your family. Mm. So so making those sacrifices to, to purchase a, a property to better your family's future is common and, and an understandable plan um for many people like myself yeah and Um, sorry yeah no go ahead go ahead and 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 what what's sort of the end game for you what what's the plan and and what does success look like for 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 what you're trying to build and achieve look i I just want to make sure that my kids in the future uh uh financially secure they're stable I would like to provide them with with a house each because I have two kids. Um, that would be the ultimate the ultimate goal. I have two for them, and then I'm living in the Bahamas somewhere. That, that's the goal. <laughs> nice. Well, just keep the spare bed made up. You never know when I'm uh, when I'm cruising through. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now you're 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 uh, you're happy to come past any time. I'll have you any time. Keep a what do they drink there? Rum on ice. Rum on ice. Huh? Not not in Melbourne. <laughs> no, not in Melbourne. No, no. Uh, in Bahamas, yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. So um, in, in rounding out the discussion today, can you sort of give us your best tips when it comes to, you know, selecting these assets that are going to be the performers um, to give that generational wealth and, you know, any negotiation or, or, or purchasing tips along the way that you think are, are important to the way that you've been able to acquire and continue to acquire property? Yeah, no, absolutely, Mike. Um, well, my three top tips for, for everyone listening out, um, they're about making offers and, and that's an important part of the part of the buying process um one of the most crucial parts so so my for number one um nothing great comes from being comfortable it's in the uncomfortable where you will be rewarded now i'm not sure if that is a quote but if it's not it is now (laughs) (laughs) hyphen rob panetta i will let you use that one mike um now so what i mean by that is if you're someone that is a bit introverted and and wanting to purchase a property, you need to step out of your comfort zone and be calling, emailing, texting agents weekly. You need to be top of mind. So when your brief comes up, they think, oh, shit, Rob, yeah, he's been hassle- hassling me for the last month. Uh, let's shoot this property over to him and see if we can get a deal done. Yeah. And bam, that's how you get it. That's how you get a leg up on the competition. Um, yeah. So my second tip is, when making an offer on a property, do not offer basic numbers. And what I mean by that is, let's just say you have a listing price of eight hundred and fifty thousand to nine hundred thousand, yep. and you're wanting to put in an offer at the top end of that range. You're not putting in an offer at nine hundred thousand. You're putting in an offer at nine hundred and two thousand, because nine times out of ten, everyone that is putting in an offer is will be sorry, lost my train of thought. Because yes. nine times out of ten, everyone that is putting in an offer will be at nine hundred thousand. And I have a real life example to share with you guys today. Yeah, please. Um, I th- just as recently as Monday, that just went past. I actually secured a property for a client. 
which was uh, hotly contested. There was uh, seven offers on the table. Um, the top end of that range was 425000 And I said to my client, look, I, I feel if someone's put in an offer, they would put it in at 425000 And I said, why don't we make an offer at 427 And you know what happened next, Mike? I think you got this, this property. Absolutely. <laughs> it was enough to secure the property by a couple of thousand. Yeah. But if, it was, if I was like most people, I would have lost out on the property or I might still be negotiating now and, and potentially paying a larger amount. Mm. That's interesting. I've heard um, buyers agents talk about that in an auction setting, right? Like if, you're, if your maximum budget is, say, 900 you know, they'll ask the client for a 901 or a 902 because, you know, heaven forbid there's that psychological number in the in another bidder's mind and it was only that one or two thousand dollars that was enough to 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 broach that uh, yeah, or to bridge it's, that it's gap, all, right? It's all psycho uh, I can't even say the word psychological psychological, yep. 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 That's the one. Um yeah, it's all in the mind. Um uh, people just like putting in round even numbers, um, but as you can tell, we, we won the property by a couple of thousand. Mm. Um, yeah. Nice. So, okay, my last tip um, is buying in a hot market. You, you need to move with speed. You need to have your finances in order so, so you can move on a property at any given time when the right deal presents itself, though. Um, you need to tailor your offer to suit the vendor. Um, you need to find out why the vendor might be selling their property. It could be they need to have a quick settlement or because they, they want to use the capital elsewhere or they, they want to exclude, exclude a certain um, special condition. So so you need to ask the right questions to the real estate agent and, and determine what offer would be the, the most attractive to the vendor as you'll, you'll find most people, they tailor their offers and, and just put it in the standard terms. Um, yeah. So so those are my three hot tips uh, for your listeners today. That's beautiful. Well, you know, the market on paper, according to all the updates, is we're in the, the bottom end of a downturn, but I think the fundamentals are pointing to an upswing and some pretty hot uh, hot buying opportunities. It, it depends what market you're in, Mike. Uh, yeah. I know over in WA, uh, things are selling within the before even the first open home. So... Yeah. We're dealing with, uh, yeah, a, a lot of speed. You, you need to have speed when when uh, you're dealing with properties over there at the moment. But yeah. as, as the saying goes, there's markets within markets. I'm in Melbourne and, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be buying here at the moment. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, yeah, yeah, it just goes to show that, you know, not just the speed but those conditions can actually give you a leverage on, on the opposition. So some awesome tips there, Rob. Thanks very much for sharing all your wisdom today. No, absolutely. Uh, I appreciate you having me on, Mike, um, and happy to do it anytime. <laughs> Cheers. Love your work. Thanks, Mike.